There's no doubt about it. Culture is the key to a great season. Even if performance isn't quite there, a strong culture makes it all worthwhile. Put the two together, you've helped create an unforgettable few months in your athletes' lives. It can feel like a daunting task sometimes, though. There are a lot of culture killers out there, and we coaches already have so much on our plates. So today's guest gives us an amazing tool to be able to stay focused on the main thing. You ready to learn about the culture system? Let's do this. Get your head in the game, coach. You're about to get your audio dose of softball inspiration. I'm Melanie Rushing, And I'm Alicia Smith. And we help softball teams win more games and have more fun. Right now, you're joining thousands of passionate coaches across the nation who are dragging the field, prepping for the day, or driving to that other job while they learn and grow as a coach. So if you're ready to learn how to build a strong team culture, get your players to believe, and make a real difference in their lives, you're in the right place. This is the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode. We have got a guest that I have had my ear on for a while. The author of The Culture System and host of the Coaching Culture Podcast, J.P. Nurbin. Welcome, sir. I'm excited. You guys got a lot of energy, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> Thanks for thanks for joining us and thanks for reaching out. And like we talked about before we started recording, I ironically had just purchased your book about a week before um, because I am also obsessed with culture. I truly believe it's the foundation of everything that makes a successful team, a successful business or organization. So tell us kind of a little bit about your journey and how you got to the point where you were starting to work with some of the teams and do some of the things that you're doing and then ultimately led you to write this book. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of great things come from dark places <laughs> and our coaching journey or rock bottom, whatever you want to call it, you know, and I've been coaching over a decade in in, in basketball internationally. I was starting, got my start in Ireland, but uh, and moved to Tennessee and was coaching high school basketball and just uh, really struggled, really, really struggled to develop the culture that I had de- developed other places. Um, you know, a host of reasons for that, but at the real core of it, uh, it was me. It was my fault. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I kept trying to change my players and shape them into things that people that I wanted them to be, or the standards that I was constantly setting. Um, and yet I was asking them to do things within their own, um, behavior, the way they responded to bad calls, the way they responded to mistakes, the way, uh, that they talked to their teammates. But if you looked at my coaching behaviors, I demonstrated none of it, what I wanted for them. And so really it came from a place of personal transformation. And then the strong desire, a strong desire to not leave culture up to chance. And I feel like when it comes to culture, we constantly just, we hear this idea in a podcast or we would have a book and we're like, all right, I'm gonna try this next year. And hopefully this will get us there, you know? And not that I feel like I've now discovered the the secret to 100% you know success, but what I started to do is I started just to read everything on culture, everything on organizational culture, sports team culture, leadership that I could get my hands on, you know, psychology or you know all, all those types of things. Anything that could be related to what would be necessary for great culture. I studied those, started interviewing those people, started my podcast. And that led me to then desiring to write a book and then actually working and coaching coaches on the things that we have found uh, great leaders, great organizations do across 
sports and business, military, healthcare, what are the common tools, methods, and then how, you know, how we apply those into everyone's unique context is, is really what I think I've focused on these last, you know, last five years, five or six years. So I know we'll dig deeper into various topics, but can you first start with uh, like an overview of your system based on the book? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great place to start. So from the, the culture system starts at the center is you, the leader. And it's knowing who you are, uh, what's important to you. It's like having a philosophy. Um, and we can you can use terms, you know, you know like mission statements or vision statements and uh, values, core values. What I actually really focus on is just core disciplines within a, within a coach. I think like that's probably the most important thing is what I've seen is some people have a mission statement. Some people define success like John Wood and young people have their core values. But really, all that is meaningless and cliche if I am not on a journey myself to bring those values to life, to bring that vision to life. And at first starts within myself, within my own life, right? So if I could say I value selflessness and respect and all these things, but if I don't live that really on and off the field, right, um, then it really is meaningless. So when it comes to that, the core of the system is you, the leader, right? And there's more to talk about there, but we've got to go beyond the cliche statements. Uh, outside of that, we talk about the system itself. And, and many of these things are mechanical, but they're like, but they're applied in an organic way, right? So it's the system is made up of different tools, methods, and really skills, like a different skill set. So, you know, things that you, skills that you might acquire or develop as a coach, um, tools that, you know, you might implement within your team or try to, you know, activities you might do or ways of doing things every year, uh, ways of recruiting, ways of disciplining, right? So those tools, while they can feel very mechanical, they have to be applied organic. So because culture is not like building, it, it's, it's, it's building a house is oftentimes we want the blueprint, but, you know, to build the culture, but it's more like this organic process of gardening is what I equate it to. <laughs> you know, you don't know what you what you're walking into, and sometimes you got to cultivate some good. You got to bring stuff back to life, and sometimes you got to cut and you got to weed, right? So that's how I envision culture. So within those tools and methods, we break them down into three main kind of processes or groups. First is establishing the culture, which, and then it's supporting the culture, and then it's enforcing uh, that culture. Culture being defined as the strength of the relationships and connections and how high um, are the standards, the behaviors, the, the things that we say we aspire to, but the things we actually do. I liked what you said about way back at the beginning, you talked about the, your mission statement, even as a coach, like you first, you first generally have to understand that before you can live it, I think. And one of the things I had to do for my master's program was to write that down, right? I had to write down a mission statement and what I'm about and why I coach. And it was really hard to write at first, but then you start writing it down and you figure it, you start figuring out and putting on paper why you're doing what you're doing and what's important to you. I think that helps. I think that helps you in the, get in the right direction of also learning that and living that yourself. And it's a true reflection. I think it was a really good reflection for me as a coach. So have you had any coaches walk through that process just to begin with, uh, to start with about even figuring out why they're doing it? 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's very interesting. So the, especially when the coaches come to work with me, some people are in the business 30, 40 years that I've worked with. They're, you know, Hall of Fame type, you know, coaches. And there's other people that are just getting their start. But either way, everyone needs to come back and reflect on why we coach those type of things. In fact, it's not just a one soft thing. It's not just when you do your master's program, it needs to be continuous. And I think, you know, one of probably one of the most, um, you know, talked about, you know, well-respected coaches of all time is John Wooden. And, and he had this great definition of success, which was his vision statement, essentially, of uh, success as a peace of mind, knowing that you did your very, very best to become the best you could possibly be. be. Well, you know, I think, and he had his pyramid of success, which were his core values and defined, like, you know, John Wooden didn't get there in one day, in one summer, in one book. You know, like he literally came back and worked at that and tried to make it a part of his life. But also, how can I better express this? Is you know, and so he, he constantly refined that. So I think the disciplines are about the refining the language, continuing as we discover more, we change things, we tweak things, as well as we continue to work towards those things because. The vision statements, mission statements, values, they are aspirational, but they are also guiding. They are there to guide our behaviors and guide how we choose to live to lead and to live. Ah, it's so good. Okay. So now I'm gonna put you on the spot. What are yours? My core values. You know, I, this is gonna throw people off because I got core values for our family that my wife and I sat down and put together, uh put put down together. Uh actually we did it just last, this last November. Um, and then we have, I have mine for mine as a team, which my, t- my team, I want to be selfless, competitive, and resilient. And then mm-hmm. for myself as an individual and how I want to live, um, it comes down to just joy, growth, and serve. I want, and, and I have my, my mission is to grow and serve every single day. Good ones. And I have found too, as a coach, even though. I would like to think that not only have I written that down, I would like to think that I also work on that constantly, but I find myself sometimes during the middle of a season when things aren't going well, I get in the weeds and I, and I get caught up in the outcomes and the fact that we're not playing well. And sometimes it has to be a conscious discussion with maybe assistant coaches or even Mel, like this, you know, we aren't playing very well. And, and there was a point in this past season where we weren't playing well and we weren't very good. And I turned to my assistant coaches and I said, we aren't very good and that's okay. This, this particular season may just be about, right. Helping these kids through coming back from COVID and figuring out things. And once, once that conversation happened and we let go of the outcome, I, I noticed a distinct shift in my coaching and I got back to those core values. So it's very difficult sometimes to stick to them constantly when you're in the middle of when outcomes, right. Aren't very good. So how how does that resonate with you? And what do you think about that when you're talking to other coaches too? Yeah. So, you know, when I talk about discipline, sometimes I'm talking about like, Hey, it's journaling or it's going for walks. It's, 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 having a mentor or someone that you can go to a sounding board when you start to maybe veer off track. Right. But one of the most powerful ways actually to keep yourself more on the path is through the system and making sure your system aligns with your philosophy. So many people have heard of like the Toyota way. And if you're in the business industry, 
uh, healthcare, like you might have heard of Lean, like which is is the Toyota production system. Well, Toyota is the greatest car company in the world. They're one of the greatest companies in the world, and they're one of the most researched and studied because they have a philosophy, the Toyota way, but they merged it with the Toyota production system. Okay. So when you have that philosophy, it needs to align with the system. So a principle that loads of people have heard about in sports is called Kaizen. That's a Toyota way principle. It's a, it's a Japanese word for continuous improvement. Well, they have tools within their system that align with continuous improvement. And what are those tools? Well, they are the Gemba Walk. The Gemba Walk is where every, the, the manager must, they don't sit in an office, they get out on the floor and they're out there observing, asking questions, right? These, these are tools that align with that. So when it comes to core values, right? Um, they should influence the standards, the standards that we enforce, right? Like the, 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 the system always comes back to this program we're creating. But another way, it's just a simple way to bring your core values to life. Well, okay, obviously you can put them on the back of a t-shirt. We can put them on the wall. Like everyone does that, right? And like, we are intentional in my family. We got the core values. Like we're trying to get like artwork in our house that actually aligns with those things because we understand the power of visuals, right? So there is a power in visuals. But one of the coolest ways that my coaches that I work with do the, the core values is we scrapped all the MVP awards or maybe they, sometimes they hold on to the MVP and the best offensive player or defensive player but they have the core value awards the players vote on, right? At the end of every year. Like that's a, that's a simple way. Other ways are I've got coaches that recognize, you know, a player of the week in their email that goes out to parents and maybe on social media that comes back to their core values, right? I've got a hockey academy I work with, four teams in Canada. They have, uh, you know, little stickers that go on the, on the helmets and players are nominated throughout the year by teachers, parents, students, based upon them representing their core values of grit, grace, respect, integrity, toughness. So you have systems or tools that constantly are celebrating the good things with the core values. It's not just like, well, I put it on my, above my desk or it's in my journal and I look at every morning as I look at the sunset, you know? It's, it's gotta really be, um, you know, backed up by the system itself. Uh, so I love that. And I'm, as you're saying it, I'm like, okay, yes, I'm ready. Give me the book now because I'm what a third almost through season now and i'm already losing track <laughs> like we talk about this weekly alicia consults my team and i'm still losing track of those little touch points so i love that uh so how else have you seen the system keep teams on track midway when things go wrong when things go great what are some other ways that coaches can expect once they implement the system to be able to keep things on track a little bit more easily <laughs> when things get so busy. Yeah, let's talk about another thing that was very common in teams today uh, that is a good thing, but then it just is not followed up with. And it's a tool or a method, which is rather than us as the coaches coming in with all the rules, we like to sit our team down and we like to establish standards, team standards. You know, what's going to help us win the championship this year? What's going to help us have a great year? I talk about that in my book. It's an important activity. But we do this and then, you know, two months in the season, nobody knows what the standards are, right? It just completely goes by the wayside. And so we've had coaches that print that off. It's on a poster. They make visuals for it. Um, we've they, Some put them on the practice plan, every practice plan. Like we've, you've, you've got those type of visual reminders to come back to that. Um, we've got people that like they just do a 
core value or a standard review on like, like let's say, hey, like, let's, can we name our non-negotiables or our five core standards? Like we've got those type of things, but what really is impactful in, in really trying to bring those standards to life is using other of our tools. One of those being the, the leadership council, which is a very unique, it's not just your normal captains. We have a very intentional way of bringing that together to make it less of a popularity contest and more of a training ground for leadership. Um, but we use those people oftentimes to address any slippage in standards. We also have another tool where it's, just, it's actually called a standard review, where we take an area of our program where the slippage has happened and we come back to, okay, let's review and let's get even clearer about what this looks like on when it's unacceptable, we're not meeting the standard and what it looks like when we're exceptional. So we build those out. There is periodic um, self-reviews, you know, in what we would call our, our, our one-on-ones with coaches and our kind of player reviews, player development plans. Um, and we talk about that in the one-on-ones with the athlete. We say, hey, these are the standards. Where, where do you think you're doing? How, how do you think you're doing uh, in these areas? So there's a bit of a self-assessment. Um, so there's those things in general. But probably at the at the core of it, really bringing those standards to life is is the way we try to use discipline and hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Moving outside the traditional methods, um, you've got to have really po- tools that continue to empower uh, the athlete to feel like they have ownership um, over those standards, and that, that's a big piece of it is how we discipline, which we, we can unpack that. I'm sure we will at some stage during this conversation. I think the ownership piece is is really key. And the more they feel like they own, right, and are participating in and a part of those discussions, I think then they learn that it's not just about them. It's about something bigger than themselves. It's playing for everybody next to them and, and things like that. And I've seen I've seen teams do that successfully and not successfully. So one of the things that um that I really never thought about was in chapter eight, which is one of the chapters you you said definitely to read this one is, and you touched on it was the player improvement plan and giving them ownership because I, I see and know, and even have talked about just I, like some of the conversations you laid out in the book. It's like, oh my gosh, I've said that just like that to the player, because as coaches, we want so desperately to help and coach and tell them versus letting them tell us. And I think one of the keys that you stated over and over was we need to listen more. We need to listen better. We need to give, and I think that's how we give them ownership is that, you know, you walk through these player improvement plans, but give them ownership. So can you talk a little bit more about those? Because I think that that's really a critical piece in developing relationships with your kids. Yeah. Oh man. So you got to start from a place of how you enter that conversation. And is it, are you, going in there with this agenda and you have an idea of where you want the player to go and you know what they need to improve upon. Um, or do you first off just go and try to connect with the person, not the person behind the athlete. And that's, that's, so having the right mindset where you recognize that their needs, their challenges and their desires are as legitimate as your own. Um, and you see them as a people. Otherwise we can go into that conversation. We just see them, as the obstacle because they're the, they're not buying into the culture that we have, or they're the vehicle. Um, if I could just get them to buy in, we could be so good this year. Um, you know, or they're irrelevant. Like, Oh, got to talk with this kid. Like, I mean, 
they don't play that much. You know, like there's different ways, but we, we, those are three main ways that we really uh, kind of dehumanize people as we look at them, we see them as obstacles, vehicles are irrelevant. So do I have the right mindset enter that conversation? Once I have the right mindset, then I come in with genuinely, you know, genuine curiosity. And obviously Ted Lasso is very popular and kind of talked about right now, but like, and that phrase that be curious, not judgmental, but like, what does that actually mean? You know, like, does it mean I have a lot of great questions? Cause I could give you, I could rattle off 20 great questions to all your listeners right now. And I was like, okay, I got the questions to be more curious. No, curiosity starts from a mindset of actually caring about what is actually going on. So when you sit down with that athlete, you're asking in these player development plans, first off, what's important to you? Like, where do you want to go with this sport? Actually, where do you want to go in life? And you start a place from that place of their goals, their aspirations. And then you start to dive into where do you see yourself? Like, where do you see in relation to all those goals and those aspirations? So you kind of explore that. And maybe during these times, you can ask more questions around, you know, to better understand why they think that they are there or why that goal is really important. I remember years ago, a coach was like, asked a player, you know, what the goal was or his aspiration was, I want to play division one at university of Wisconsin. The coach was like, what is this guy's crazy? He's not, he can't play there. He could barely play at the community college. He said, well, well, why is that so important to you? And the player was like, well, uh, I just, you know, I got three younger brothers and um, my mom's single mom and I want to be able to pay for college and make her proud. And he's like, man, that is really important to know because now I can have a conversation with like, you can make your mom proud and you can get a college education other than just playing division one basketball at the University of Wisconsin, right? So just powerful conversations by having curiosity. So, you know, you know where they are, where I want to go, where are they currently? And then you start to say, okay, well, what can you do to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be? And all of a sudden now we are mentoring, we are coaching them and, and we can offer in a little advice here and there. But, you know, so often, 90 plus percent of the time, the, the players, they actually, they know where they're at. You know, they're not that distorted. Um, and then there's the 10% that are, you know, and then you can help them. You can help just have little nudges and corrections. So this conversation is powerful. It starts with a genuine curiosity and care. And, and then there are some skills and some techniques and some great questions you can use. But if you just jump in with the questions and the techniques, it's not going to go well. I love all this so much. I'm like, oh, I, I'm seeing my journey as a coach through JP stories. Oh, still on it. Uh, but I really notice how you were talking about it really does start with us versus coaches. And I think my biggest resistance to being an actual good listener, because I wanted to be a good listener, uh, had my master's in sports, so I thought I was good. Uh, but the main thing that I hear you saying is like, it's about getting all the puzzle pieces, not seeing one and being like, okay, let's go, let's put it together. Uh, we're doing puzzles with my kids right now. So that's why it's in my head. But I think the coolest thing for coaches to know is I think it's a little bit scary uh, admitting you don't have all the puzzle pieces. Like, oh God, like what else do I need to be able to actually help them? Because that's what most of us are here for is to help. But then it is so rewarding when you find those little nuggets. Like, oh, that's why you do this. Or that's what makes you make those decisions. Um, it's so rewarding because then you can actually help <laughs> as opposed to like, oh, let's, let's try this thing I think has worked for some other kids. 
Uh, and then, oh, no, not that. Let's try another thing. I think it will go a long way towards efficiency for coaches and making that impact we all deeply desire. So thank you for that. Those are just my mm. thoughts. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's, um, it, it, it is, you, once you have curious, you, once you have that curiosity and you have those conversations, um, and, and they sense that, that you're genuinely curious, like they use this and you genuinely, genuinely care, they're more likely to open up and share. And, and, and you'll just be, uh, amazed at the things that you learn. And, um, obviously it's cliche, but like, you know, once they know you care, then, then they'll, run through a wall for you, you know, like, like then they'll actually care about what you have to teach them. Right. I think one of the skills or tools that you have in your book that was very eye-opening for me was the ORS method or the ORS tool on, on how to ask the right questions, how to be curious, how to listen, how to not just tell them what to do. Right. Cause that, you know, I, I, I recognize in that conversation in, in chapter 11, where it's like, yeah, I've done that before because I have all the answers. I know everything. I can solve all the world's problems if you just listen to me. Like that's not, you know, you getting away from that is really important. So talk a little bit about where that came from. I'm curious and how you dive into that with people that you're mentoring or talking, uh, talking with or coaching. Yeah, that's it, honestly, that's one of my favorite things in coaching coaches is to, hey, let's talk about that conversation you had yesterday with that athlete and what could you have, how could we have done that better, right? And we work on refining these skills. Um, you know, some days I wish I could just like eavesdrop in and record the conversations to kind of break it down. But, you know, the coaches that reflect, they're that reflective, it's pretty cool. So the ORS comes from William Miller, who is a, um, you know, is a researcher and psychiatrist, you know, psychologist that uh, was wor initially working with people that had alcohol addiction. And the idea at the time, I think it was in the uh, late seventies, early eighties was that alcoholics uh, were in denial um, and they're all like, they, you just had to go in there and you had to tell them they had a problem and you had to make them fix, but like they were going to be super resistant. But when he started out in treatment centers there, he didn't know anything about alcoholism. And so he went in really curious, right? Back to our thing about curious. And he was just like, um, tell me about your, what's going on? Like, and just was super curious. And what he found when he was curious what, and ask questions and try to learn about their situation. And, you know, did they think they have a problem and what, you know, like what was going on in their life was he found people that were very open to change people that wanted to change. And so the idea, and he is, William Miller is the founder of what's called motivational interviewing, which is a style of, you know, it's used in, obviously in addiction treatment and therapy, but it's also used in healthcare today to help um, people make changes in their lifestyle. It's used in education. It's used in FBI negotiation. There's a great book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. And he just, he doesn't say it explicitly, but is all over there is motivational interviewing tools of ORS. So it is, a, it, instead of coming in there and telling people they need to change, uh, which is one way of doing it, instead of following, which is maybe the traditional old school therapist, which just isn't, well, how are you feeling today? And what do you want to talk about? And just completely following it. You're guiding, right? There is a bit of guiding the conversation. And so ORS is open questions, uh, not closed questions, not leading questions, but genuinely curious questions where you don't have an answer that you want. There's affirmations, which are not praise. Affirmations is focusing on the behaviors 
um, not on the outcomes that you're affirming an individual. And sometimes you're affirming not even like good behaviors, it's just the intent behind the behavior. The, the athlete that gets on his teammate in a really negative way, you could still affirm them and say, hey, I know you really want us to do well. And I know you're trying to be a leader, but let's talk about that. You know, like, you know, like you can affirm while still, you know, uh, correcting. And then after uh, affirmations is reflections. And 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 this is often called reflective statements or mirroring. Um, it's not just mirroring in body language. It's, it's sometimes just repeating back what people say to you. So you don't, and this is great because sometimes we can feel like we're interrogators as coaches. Like, hey, how'd you feel about the game last night? Good. Good. You know, like all of a sudden the player is like, yeah, well, you know, like, and then like, so it's like, you know, it's, it's rather than just constantly asking questions, you can just kind of repeat back a few words and, and you, you kind of know the feeling like, and, and it can be, I mean, it sounds awkward to sometimes explain it, but once you're in it, it's not so much. And then lastly, summaries, and those are just a basket of reflections. They're just like, okay, so what I'm hearing is you have this goal, you have this dream, you want to be all state, you want to be here. You, what you're telling me is you feel like you're pretty close to that. You need to do these things. So a summary of the conversation says, hey, I was really listening. And it gives them an opportunity to say, well, actually this or that, and, you know, and it, it, but it, it is a, I see you, I hear you. And that is powerful, powerful listening tool. When I was reading that part of the beginning part about the counselor who wanted to work with alcoholics, it's like, you know, you, I hear a lot of coaches say this now. Uh, these kids these days, they're just not the same kids these days. They're just not motivated kids that, you know, and they put them all in this big bucket. And that just reminded me of that. It's like, well, have we, or have I, even in the reflection of myself, have we worked through some of these conversations deep enough? Have we worked through this method, which I thought was just, it's like a real big eye opener for me too, on how do I communicate with my kids? And I can see how some people would say, I don't have time for this. It's not important. I don't know how, but I feel at the core of coaching should be bit like this. This is why we're doing it. At least that's why I do it, right? I can't say that's why every coach does it. But um, I just, I challenge, I would challenge coaches to really read through this book and think about the way you speak to your athletes and not put them in these boxes and ask these curious questions because you'd be amazed of what I think you will hear when you actually listen. Yeah. And I, I would say we don't have time. We can't afford to not do this because it creates so many problems down the line, right? You have to actually make time for us. And secondly, the way I lay out the system for coaches and we try to build this in is we try to create a system where it doesn't take that much time. We try to get our assistant coaches trained up in this so that we're splitting up and we're all, you know, we're breaking up. If we got a team of 20 players and we got three or four assistants, it's like, if we got four assistants. Like you got these players this month you got these players this month, you got like, or some people are, you know, they desire to do weekly conversations with players. So it's like, you know, if we got the time, it's just, and it's just five, 10, 15 minutes after practices before games on the bus. I had a team tell me once in, in, in ice hockey in Canada, they didn't have time. I'm like, guys, you're on the bus for 18 hours, 18 hours. You, you can't pull the 20 athletes to the front of the bus and just have a conversation with them every weekend, every other weekend, you have like a tenant, like Canada, like it's crazy to have to take these long bus trips, you know, I'm like, come on, man, you, you, we do have time. Right. Um, and, and so, 
that's that's one thing. I think the other thing too around these conversations, we talk about the team standards and how that kind of becomes cliche here. So many times I think we we create team standards that really are just for one or two individuals. And then we just need to really work with that individual and be having these conversations and sitting down and 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 if that and and rather than just like having these, you know, conversations where we call the whole team out. And it's just like, no, no, you really just need to be talking to two individuals that continuously show up late or the two individuals that have bad body language. Like we don't need a whole 30 minute seminar on body language when we've got two guys that are the only guys that are, that or, or girls that, you know, pal or throw their bat when they make a mistake. Right. Like, like, so, so often, like this is just really, really well spent time for us as coaches. That is so good. I call that a mic drop and uh, yeah, I'm making small group practices today <laughs> to do just that. Thank you so, so much for your time. Is there anything else that we missed or how can we get this book? Cause I'm about to order it. Well, I, I, I will just say this. Uh, I appreciate the promo in the book and I just hope whether people buy the book or not um, that they got value out of this conversation. Like that's, that's, that's what I'm here for, you know, is, is just to try to provide value. I will say, I implemented a very rudimentary culture system eight years ago and it transformed my coaching forever. And it changed, changed how I coached. It changed how I taught in the classroom. I went from being that teacher that people were like, eh, some liked, a lot of people didn't like. The people that didn't like, yeah, no, no, most teachers didn't like those kids, right? Like, like, like they were the people, yeah, yeah, well, they don't like me, who cares? Like, I don't like them either, right? <laughs> but I went from being that teacher to being the one that everyone, hey, uh, just send him over to Nervin because he, he can figure it out, you know? Like, and, and the players or the athletes, or the students would come to me that had those issues. And uh, I, I went, it just drastically changed the relationship the satisfaction in teaching and coaching. And I've only recently started to somewhat get better at it as a, as a father, I got to, you know, practice what I preach here, you know, but like, it's really working on it at the home. And uh, so that's one of my encouragement is, is to get in there and, and to try to apply some of these things. Um, the other thing I, that we really didn't kind of touch on, but is, is that enforcement of the consequences is probably one of the most game-changing things I did, which is when I stopped yelling, screaming, begging, bitching, pleading for my athletes to do what I wanted them to do. And we established clear standards with a connection to what we were trying to achieve. And then when they didn't meet the standard, maybe a little bit of encouragement, maybe a little bit of a reminder, and they still don't meet the standard. I just say, hey, you've lost the opportunity to get better. Or, hey, how about you step off? And as soon as you're ready to start working hard, you can hop right back in. And all of a sudden, that drastically changed. All of a sudden, my athletes weren't entitled anymore. They saw practice as a get-to, not a got-to. That wasn't just some phrase we put on the back of our T-shirt. It was something that actually became our, our culture. It was an intrinsically motivated culture. And so how we discipline is so, so vitally, vitally important. And uh, there's so many great tools in the book on that. And we talk about it on my podcast as well, too. But so... I hope, but if you just catch one other thing from this podcast today, it would be stop yelling, screaming, making your kids do sprints and stuff and move to a place where there's more logical, what I call progressive consequences, which is before I kick them out of practice, I'm going to have some other logical consequences where they're going to lose some sort of privilege or opportunity. Um, and that's going to really try to train the mindset that, that we want so bad. 
Um, yeah. So, but if people want to check out the book, you can head on over to Amazon or Audible. It's 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 on both those those formats. Uh, MyCultureSystem.com to learn more about the book, and also TOCCulture.com to learn more about me. And that is a wrap for today's episode. Again, if you would like to check out that book or any of the other offerings JP has, head to TOCCulture.com slash mycultureSystem. That's TOCCulture.com slash mycultureSystem. And if you'd like to know where exactly to start with getting the mental game wrapped into that culture, head to mentalspeedspot.com and get our free assessment today. All right, that's all we got for you today, coaches. Talk soon.